0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Ava Thanheiser, and I'm talking with Dana Grosser-Clarkson and Joanna Hung today. We will be discussing the article, Adaptations to Support the Flint Water Task, Published in the February 2023 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and then discuss in more depth what they found by implementing that Flintwater task. Dana and Joanna, can you briefly introduce yourselves?
1: Thank you for having us. I'm Dana Grosser clarkson and I am a mathematics teacher educator at the University of Maryland, and I work in the Terrapin Teachers Program, which prepares uh, secondary STEM teachers. So I teach the math methods courses for both our undergraduate and our graduate-level students, and I also teach a math course, which this article talks about.
2: I'm Joanna, and I'm currently a student at the University of Maryland. So I just graduated yesterday bachelor's in math and i'm planning to start the master's in education program this june and i'm i'm in the terrapin teachers program in university of maryland so i was one of dana's students and one of her ta's for the math class that we use the flint water task for.
0: Well, welcome, both of you, and congratulations on the graduation. Thank you. And good luck on your future endeavors. But let's jump into the article. So this article is a perspectives on practice article, which means you took a prior MTE paper and adapted it. So could you tell us which paper you're building on and why you selected that paper?
1: Well, yes, I want to start off by first saying I was really excited to see uh, perspectives on practice. I think this is a perfect move for the journal. We've actually used a couple of the ones that were mentioned, but the one that we had been actively using in the math course that we were teaching is uh, engaging teachers in a powerful combination of mathematical modeling and social justice. The Flint water task by Julia Aguera and colleagues. And that was from 2019. Uh, and this was a task that we had done several times in our methods course. So it seemed like we were had a lot of information that we had gathered in ways that we felt we had improved um, and tweaked the task that we thought we could share back to the math education community. So
0: that paper is available on the MTE website, and there's also a podcast available on that paper, which is podcast number eight, if you're looking for that. So you selected it because you already had implemented it a few times and you had some data on it. How are you building on the Flint water task? And remember that not everybody who's listening might know the Flint water task. So let's kind of, as we answer questions, get to that.
2: Flint water task is a task that aims to, that focuses on two goals. One goal, which is social justice math and one goal which is mathematical modeling and in this task there is a scenario regarding companies trying to ship in water to Flint, Michigan and then the task asks students do you think this amount of water is enough for the students in Flint, Michigan? I I can't remember exactly what the text asked, but something along those lines. Yeah, and how
1: much water will be enough to meet the daily needs of Flint school children for a calendar year?
2: Okay, yes, thank you. We use the Flint water test in our adaptations that we focused on in this article. We're adding a gallery walk and adding a KWL chart, which is a, what I know, what I wonder, and what I learned charts. Those were the... Two adaptations we focused on, and we had additional adaptations as well, but those are the two we focused on.
1: We were limited to a very few, I think it was four pages.
0: <laughs> so you implemented the task, and um the task asks how much water is needed to for the children in Flint. And one of the things about this task is that it's super open, right? Students have to decide what that means. What does it mean to be enough water? What does it mean for school year? who counts as a child, you know, all of those things. Now, a lot of that is described, I think, in the original article. So the things that you added on to this were creating posters and commenting or like walking around and um, visiting the posters.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: then this chart that you said was knowledge, wanderings, and learnings. Correct. Okay. Talk to us a little bit more about those two pieces.
1: Like I said, this is, I think, my, I think, sixth time of enacting this task with either pre-service teachers or in-service teachers. So I had done it quite a few times. And Joanna has done it as a student and has observed it twice now as more of a TA role. When I first implemented this task, one of the issues was the models are, are similar, but yet very different around the assumptions. So it's one of these things um, I like to try and model what we um, teach in our teacher education program. And one of the things we talk about is the five practices and selecting and sequencing. And so trying to figure out how do I order these particular posters? Because they're like you said, it's an open task. They're, so they're all very they're different. So there's things you want to highlight on each poster. But what I found is when we did more class presentations, Students started to get bogged down because you okay. This group maybe had a set of assumptions that so you're trying to compare it to another group that had already presented, but then you can't quite remember if they needed more water or less water, and it was hard to keep track of all the the modelings that the different groups had. And so, actually, Joanna came up with the idea, and we made this task. I think probably the day before we taught it um, uh, two years ago now, where she had said, "Why don't we? Why don't we use a gallery walk? Because she um, had seen a gallery walk earlier in the semester." Was intrigued by it and saw many benefits, and actually presented on it at a conference. So, Joanna, I'll let you talk a little bit more about what you thought gallery walks could add.
2: Yeah, I thought a gallery walk would be able to help students to be able to be able to easily compare different groups' assumptions and conclusions. So, on this day in class, we just had all the groups write down their assumptions and everything they worked out. The task with on poster paper, and then we put the posters around the walls of the classroom. And then all the students individually just spent maybe five minutes, five to 10 minutes walking around and noticing similarities and differences between the different groups. And then after that, students went back into their small groups and talked about what they noticed in small groups. And then we shared out into large groups. And I think this gallery walk structure was effective in making it easier for students to remember like what group said what and being able to yeah, distinguish different groups more easily.
1: And this method of using the the gallery walk, this was the first time without my prompting that students noticed there were two distinct models. I felt like in previous semesters when I taught the when I used this task, I, it required more prompting for me. I, like, What do we notice? Now look at these ones. How are they similar? How are they different? And this this time uh, after the gallery walk, the, I think it was the second comment a student shared to the whole class was simply about the two structures that she saw and that each of these solutions fell into one of those larger structures.
0: Will you give us a very brief summary of those
1: two structures? Yeah. Joanna, do you want to do that? You don't need to do that. You can do that. So uh, the original article, the, the language they use is they call it a daily donation approach or the other one is a total need approach. So they either figure out how much water do you think a student would need um, and, all the, and then all the students in Flint for the year, or do you want to go ahead and, and start doing some division to find out what's that daily need that a student might have?
0: Okay. So let's talk a little bit. So you had them on posters and students visited each other's and you're saying they were able to kind of step back and see the structure a little bit easier this way than how you had enacted it prior. So let's talk about the that chart. Tell us what it is and what it helped you do.
1: The KWL chart? Yeah. So um, we had used one previously in the semester, so it wasn't the first time they had seen a KWL chart. But the idea was I wanted to see what students knew about the Flint water task just prior to starting it. Every year we've got a big range. We have students who have never heard of it. We have students who did like a senior debate on it. <laughs> so they've like spoken extensively and have researched it and everything in between. And it was in particular, our university had had a first year book. And one of the books we read happened to be on the Flint water crisis. So some of our students had actually read this book in English classes and had talked about it in experiences um, in other courses at our university. So the, the first column on the KWL chart allows students to show what they, what they already know about the, ta- about the Flint water crisis. And then um, and w- the next column is, uh, the W column is, it's, what are your wonderings? What questions might you have? And then the last column, we have them fill out after we've spent several days on this activity. And then uh, uh, what did you learn? And before they fill that column out, we ask them to specifically go research something that interests them regarding the Flint water task. So people might do something like looking up in and I give them some ideas. Here are some things. So you might I might say, go find out who Little Miss Flint is and find out what role she has played in the Flint water crisis. The other one we've had, we have students sometimes who are have a computer science background. So we might say, okay, go find out how AI has been used in the Flint water crisis. Other folks, you might say, okay, look at the politi- political aspect. Go find out what happened. Did politicians end up going to jail? What's happened currently is it's still going on in the court system. Have cases been dropped? Why have they been dropped? And just to have different things that each student can really investigate. Another one, there was Jaden Smith had brought in a, a water box idea to the Flint crisis and to find out what is that How did that idea go? Is it something that's still happening? So the students really kind of can go their own direction and find out things, whether it's more information specifically about Flint or maybe just larger about, uh, you know, the water crises that we've faced in various countries, various cities in our country. So what did you learn from doing this chart? Well, I learn new stuff every year. (laughs) That's why I love doing and I love the students um, figuring this stuff out. For example, I had no idea that computer scientists have used AI to try to identify the likely places that pipes would be led. And they were rather successful with identifying, which would have significantly decreased the time it would have taken to replace critical pipes in the city. But there were some politics involved, and they actually stopped using the program that was effectively working. So that was an example of something I learned from my students that I think it's very informative. It shows us where we can, where computer science and mathematics are meeting for social justice. So I learn a lot each time I teach this task.
0: Yeah, I actually learned a lot reading your paper. There was some information in there that I wasn't aware. So that's cool. So how is this chart useful
1: for MTEs? I think the main thing that this chart offers is that you help students see that they learn more than just math. I think oftentimes the focus is on content. What content did I learn? And I think what's important here is that the KWL chart helps students recognize you actually learned a lot more than just math and you learned something about our society. And again, it might not be you know specific details about the crisis in Flint, but it might be just larger water quality. One of the first homework assignments we do is we have the students then go home at the day after we introduce the task and we say, Google the high school you went to and find the water quality report and see if you had lead in the water. And the students are just blown away to think that there are these reports now that the local schools put out and they can go say the drinking fountain in the home ec room that I was in <laughs> was, you know, well past the threshold, maybe in the thousands. Um, and then the, schools also, the students also recognize that the state has actually changed the threshold since they were at those buildings. And so reports that may have passed when they were there as students are now there's some they're failing. And so this local school is having to address these issues. I think oftentimes when students see this task, they think, you know, this is happening in Flint, Michigan, but they don't often recognize that actually it's happening all over the place. And I had, after doing this task, actually learned that there was a water crisis in DC prior to the Flint crisis, which I hadn't heard of. So I think this really helps the students just see how, how important water quality is and how it is a social justice issue.
0: And I have to say, I was I am parenting three children, two of whom were in the middle and high school years during and after the Flint water crisis. And the high school they attended had to shut down all the water because it had lead in it. So for years, it took forever to fix, but there was these water containers everywhere. So there's definitely an impact. So I really love when I was reading your paper that you send them back to look at their own high schools because it kind of connects the task to your own experience as well, right?
1: Right. And I mean, some of these students were in high schools, like you had mentioned, like your children, where they actually couldn't drink from the drinking fountains. So it's more of a surprise, like, oh, wait, you all could drink the water at your school? (laughs) Like, isn't it normal for everyone to have water coolers? And so I feel like it's, yeah, it's eye-opening just to see how different, maybe different people's experiences are. Yeah.
0: All right, so I think we we've, we've wrapped our heads around the two additions or additional suggestions, extensions to the task that you did. So usually we end up with what is a contribution to the field. I'll just let you summarize. Sorry, um, I you well, like already did it, but let's say it again, and then
1: we'll I go. really appreciate that MTE has a journal where I can pick it up and have an activity to use in my class where folks have already done research on. They've already looked at, you know, sample student solutions and so as an educator that that's that's lovely to have that kind of information to walk into a lesson with so i feel like what we've done is we've just found a way to just improve even more on that because i know there are a lot of people that use this task that original mte article i think did reach a lot of teacher educators and so i think we just all continue to share as teacher educators and improve on these things we can have some great methods and uh, math courses that really help our pre-service teachers get ready for the task ahead.
0: Yeah, I want to also say that I really like your chart idea. And I want to start using that with like all kinds of tasks because I use a lot of different tasks. I have done various ways to assess what, de- what they learn, but I haven't done it in this chart form. So I'm really excited
1: to try that out. It's really solid evidence. And then it really allows students... To grow at different paces and in different areas, so it's not you know it's not linear. Everyone is going to do something different, but they're all growing.
0: Joanna, did you want to share something before we wrap up? I'm kind of curious because you were a student and then a TA in these experiences. Do you want to share a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I think as a student doing this task as the first for the first time, and also uh, researching my my former high school and the. Uh, Levels in in the water in my former high school. I think it was very eye-opening to realize how this issue impacts like everyone and many local schools. And I think that definitely prepares me as a future teacher to put this on my radar as an issue that will continue to be something I have to look out for. And yeah, and as a TA also. I definitely learned from the students in the classes I was uh, in the class I was a TA for, and just especially when the students are able to research their own social issues they want to apply the mathematical modeling cycle to. Because after the Flint water task, there's a task extension where students can research their own social issues. So, yeah, it was really interesting to see just the very broad social issues that students are interested in and how the mathematical modeling cycle can be used for many different social issues.
1: Joanna is not giving herself enough credit here. When I taught the task the first three times, I usually stopped with the original enacted task. And there's a very, at the very end, there's a question on the summary that I always give. And it's just, what are some relevant issues in your area that could be topics for a mathematical modeling task? And I just asked via a Google form, and this was it. We just ended. And Joanna's idea was to create this task extension where we actually say, no, like, okay, now you found an area that you might be interested in. Go model it. What, What questions can we answer? What can we find out? And it has, so this is where this lesson that maybe started off as a one day, let me throw in, a, you know, a social justice task has really built out now to a three to five day exploration really focusing on on some of the critical issues. And I was just sharing with Joanna before this call. This year, uh, our students looked into really cool things. Uh, I mean, their their water, again, is something we're constantly looking into, water quality. But now air quality, given COVID, that's much more important to folks now is looking at what's the quality of the air that we're breathing in as we're sitting in these classrooms. And the other one of the topics uh, they looked into was school lunches. Are the school lunches we're providing (laughs) meeting the nutritional needs for our students? And if not, How are we not giving basic needs, air, water, and food? But yet we are expecting these math teachers to teach math um, when basic needs aren't being met. And so I feel like our students, one of them is commented saying, like, I feel like this is something I can advocate for my students in my future school now. I can make sure that we have, that we can drink the water. And if not, you know, get water, we can drink. I can look into air quality. I can look into school lunches and these are things that they can do in their future schools and they can advocate and improve the environment for their future students. So it has been awesome to see them do this extension. And I would not have done that had it not been Joanna's idea to really make them play with the modeling cycle. Now we've done it once. Let's try it again and see what you all can come up with. And it's great. It's, it's impressive.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having Thank you for having us. For further information on this topic, you can find the article on the Mathematics Teacher Educator website. This has been your host, Eva Thanheiser. Thank you for listening and goodbye.